The following is a listener-supported ministry from the Grace Evangelical Society. Welcome to Grace in Focus. Thank you for joining us today. In the Old Testament, it was at the city gate that business was transacted and legal matters were taken care of. Well, today we find Boaz at the city gate. And what is he doing? Something is happening that is real important to him and real important to you and me, too. I hope you'll stay tuned for our discussion today with Ken Yates, Bob Wilkin, and Philippe Sterling, our resident expert on the Old Testament Book of Ruth. I also hope that you'll find us on our website, faithalone.org. You will find resources, books, and meetings that will help you to understand better the free grace position. And you will also learn more about us and what we do. That's faithalone.org. And now for today's time together, here are our discussion leaders. And we're talking about the end of the book of Ruth. And we left the last episode. We were in chapter 4 and verse 6. So, And it was a cliffhanger. Where did we leave it at the last time, Philippe? Well, here the closest relative to Elimelech and to Naomi has refused to redeem the land and to redeem Ruth, in essence, and produce an heir, you know, for for Naomi and for Elimelech. So now this gives the opportunity for Boaz, you know, to step forward. Right. And to say, and he commits himself here, he... Uh, an exchange takes place, you know, first of all, which is in keeping with uh, what the law of Moses you know, uh, had stipulated for such a, uh, such a change. So uh, here it's merely that the man removes his sandal and he hands it over you know, to Boaz. And the sandal is an indication of you know, he could have redeemed the land and could have walked on it and claimed it for himself. And so the sandal is representative of the walk, ah. you know, in, in essence, you know, there. But Boaz takes the sandal, takes the responsibility and uh, to acquire the land. And as the text says uh, in verse 9, Boaz says to the elders of the people, you are witnesses today, the ten elders that were seated there in this court scene, basically. Right. And, and he only has one sandal on at this time. Right? <laughs> yes. Well, Boaz, of course, takes the sandal and says in the court scene, I have bought today from Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and Malon, the two sons who had died. And here the names reappear once again. But he adds, moreover, I have acquired Ruth the Moabitus, the widow of Malon. And this is the last time that Ruth is referred to as a Moabitess, because now a change will occur. She will ah. no longer be a Moabitess. She'll actually be a Jewish woman in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers or from his birthplace. You know, you are witnesses today. In the importance of a name and the closest relatives has no name. Right. He remains anonymous because of his failure really to step up and be loyally loving towards Limelech, towards yeah. his close, close relative. And now all the people, you know, who are there in the court and the elders, in verse 11 says, we are witnesses and then the prayer. Again, prayer is constantly found in this book. You know, Naomi had prayed for Ruth and Orpah 
Boaz, in essence, also had prayed for them. And Boaz, in terms of a prayer, also had greeted his reapers. May the Lord bless you. So now here, the people, the elders pray. And it's an important prayer. He says, we are witnesses. And it says, may Yahweh make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built a house of Israel. Wives of Jacob and the tribes, tribal mothers, in essence, that are here. And they're praying that Ruth and Boaz be like them to build up the house of Israel. Which, of course, they will. (laughs) Exactly. Much beyond what they were praying doesn't realize the extent, really, of their prayer. And may he become famous in Bethlehem. And And that too. Powerful. And then verse 12 is an interesting one. It is, yeah. Yeah. Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So here, a link to the whole patriarchal period and the whole chain of the seed of Abraham. And it says, whom Tamar bore to Judah, New American Standard here says, through the offspring which the Lord will give you by this young woman. But the word for offspring here is really the word seed. Ah. Through the seed. And it's in the singular, Mm. you know, too, through the seed which Yahweh will give you by this young woman. But the prayer for them talks about a seed. So that puts it right back to the Abrahamic promise, the Abrahamic covenant, really right back to Genesis 15, 5, where Yahweh says to Abraham, it's you're going to have a seed. You own, you know, seed. Or how about Genesis 3, 15? Right, go to the the seed seed of of, the woman. woman. And of course, for New Testament theology, that takes us also to Galatians chapter 3. In the statement concerning this, I think it's verse 16 there, concerning the seed of Abraham. And there Paul makes a statement. It's not to your seeds, plural, but to your seed, singular. And he says, who is Christ? Yeah. So He's ultimately the seed they're praying about right, here. Exactly. They don't, may not realize it. And, of course, we'll see that Ruth is named in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, and through her also, in essence, that the seed promise continues. And then in Galatians 4, verse 4, in the fullness of time, God sent his son through the seed of the woman. So it's interesting in this prayer, you know, concerning the matter of the seed is clearly there. And Then Boaz took Ruth, she became his wife. He went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. And that contrasts, again, to the opening bleak segment in chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, 10 years of tragedy. Right. And in that time, Ruth, if she had been married to, to Malan for 10 years, apparently she was barren. She did not bear any children. But here, you know, she marries... Boaz, and immediately, yes, who steps in? Yahweh steps in and enables her to conceive, to bring forth, to give birth to a son. This is the second time that a direct intervention on the part of Yahweh is mentioned. In chapter 1, verse 6, he visited his people to give them bread. After the famine. After the famine. 
So here, he, in essence, he visits Boaz and, and Ruth and gives them a child, enables Ruth to, to conceive immediately. So she who had been barren now bears a child. So again, in the overall structure of the book, you know, we're introduced to Boaz as a Ishgibor Chayil, a man of excellence. And in chapter 3, verse 11, Boaz himself refers to Ruth as an Eshet Chayil, a woman of excellence. And wow. by the way, that's the same phrase that is used to describe the, the woman of excellence in Proverbs 31. Oh, really? She is an Eshet Chayil. So God allowed two people of excellent character, godly character, to come together to bear a special child in the lineage of Abraham. And as we'll see, that leads to David linking the Abrahamic covenant with the Davidic you know, covenant. Yeah. And that's the book of Ruth, in essence, shows that transition from the Abrahamic covenant to the, ultimately to the Davidic you know, covenant, which also then leads to, to Christ. If I could back up just a little bit, I wonder what you all think of this. Obviously, this prayer here, when they pray, you know, may you have this seed, they're talking about may you have children. Okay. But I'm wondering if people in the line of Judah here, like Boaz is, if there was also among the righteous in the land this idea that somebody in this line is going to bring forth the Messiah. You know, and so this prayer is, yeah, God obviously answered this prayer more than they could have even imagined. But I'm wondering if among the righteous, they were saying, well, you know, maybe it's going to be you through this one that the Christ is going to come that we're waiting for. Exactly. And that links again to the patriarchal promises, including Jacob, his prayer at the end of, of his life concerning Judah, you know, says, may the scepter not. Right. Depart, you know, from what is that, Judah, Genesis until, 49, uh, I think. Yeah, 49, 10, I think. Okay. You know, until he to whom it belongs comes. So they knew it had to be from the tribe of Judah. Right. And by the way, Micah 5 2, when was Micah written? Like yeah. after this time period. Oh, yeah. They wouldn't have been aware of the prophecy that Bethlehem was going to be right, the place right. in which Messiah was born. Because remember, when the wise men come to Jerusalem, they're asking, where is he going to be born? They're like, oh, they were oh, right there. In yeah. Bethlehem. <laughs> right. So after Micah, a righteous person living in Bethlehem would have said, if someone was from the family of Judah, this could be the one. Who, who knows? Yeah. Or if they're living uh, not not there, but that's where they're from. Right. In the case of Joseph. Right. Then he ends up going back there and giving birth there, even though he's not living in Bethlehem at the time. So you can imagine the women here saying, I, I mean, I'm just obviously I'm, I'm adding some scenes here. But <laughs> as they're praying this prayer, can you imagine them talking and say, wow, I wonder if this Moabite woman is going to be the one now, you know, or, or something like that. Well, it's, yeah. I, I think we can surmise that every generation from the time of Abraham, of believers yes. from the time of Abraham, will have hope that this was the generation sure. to which they Messiah would come. And I think that was Eve as well. Right. She, she thought that when she bore Cain, Cain she yeah. thought like, Cain. Okay, that was a bad call. That was that a bad way. call, but, but she initially thought, <laughs> yeah. this is the one. Yes. <laughs> right. You know, right. You know, yeah, what is it? Genesis 4-1, yeah. I think. Yeah. A man. Yeah, the Lord has given me, me a, a man. A man. Yeah. All right. Well, we need to wrap up for uh, this segment, but we just got a little bit of a tale here, and we will wrap up the ending of the book, and then we'll talk about some applications that we might 
be able to tie in. I just love what we've been doing, Philippe. Thank you for coming. And let's all keep grace in focus. Thank you, gentlemen, for that interesting discussion. Would you like to deepen your understanding of Scripture and the Christian life? Well, a great place to start is our website. It's faithalone.org. That's faithalone.org. We've got all kinds of free materials on the site available for you. One of those which is extremely popular is our magazine, Grace in Focus. It comes out six times a year. It's full color, easy to read, and people are really growing who read it. So stop by and get a free subscription at faithalone.org. We would like to thank all of our financial partners who help us keep this show going. All gifts are tax deductible and very much appreciated. If you'd like to find out how you can be a financial partner, visit us at faithalone.org. We are so happy when we hear from listeners. Maybe you've got a question or comment or feedback. If so, please send us a message. Here's our email address. It's radio at faithalone.org. That's radio at faithalone.org. And on the next edition of Grace in Focus, we will wrap up our Ruth series with our final scene and some practical applications. I hope you will join us. This is the Grace Evangelical Society reminding you to always keep grace in focus. The proceeding has been a listener-supported ministry from the Grace Evangelical Society.